Hello, and welcome to my podcast, The Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. I am Vina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, we crack open our passports and head to, well, a place some of my listeners probably thought I would never go. We, of course, are talking about Germany. So, yes, and the reason why is because, as my listeners know, I really hate goddamn Nazis, like, just appalled by them. I hate them in any country, especially in my own. So why Germany land of the goddamn Nazis? Well, they actually don't own the monopoly on Aryan racist asshole guys. They don't, unfortunately. In fact, you can find them pretty much everywhere. And even worse still, we have them even in America. But also the other reason... Why is because not every German actually supported the Nazis. In fact, we know now, 70 some odd years later, that a number of them even tried to kill Hitler and some of his asshole buddies. So not everybody supported them. Not everyone believed in the cause. And thanks to time passing, we know a lot more about what was going on behind the scenes. And and these, of course, include stories of Germans helping to hide their Jewish friends and neighbors. We're talking some of them tried to help them escape or did what they could. And again, assuming all Germans were true Nazis and dedicated to the cause is ignorant. And that's the thing about venturing out into the world and seeing what's really out there. You learn things you never knew. And sometimes you learn making a countrywide or racist wide assumption about people you don't even know may not actually be the best outlook to have. So with that in mind, we head to Germany's capital, Berlin. Our first stop is the Citadel of Spandu, or I heard it also referred to as the Berlin Citadel. The Citadel was built in 1557. Today it is considered to be one of the best preserved fortresses of the Renaissance period in Europe. And because it's, you know, got the history and it is the part because it was there when it was built, it's actually considered to be a premier event location for concerts and Renaissance fairs. And on top of that, it is believed to be haunted by the Wiebenfrau of Hosenzerner. My German, like my French, like my Spanish, <laughs> is terrible. Basically, the white lady. So this is the the primary ghost that seems to be haunting this citadel. So here's her sad story. During his reign as Prince Elector, 
Johannchim Hector II of Brandenburg lived in this fortress. He was seen as a man with charm and great care, and he was considered someone to be extremely generous towards his servants. However, he did have one caveat. He really did not care for his wife, and it was apparent. His wife was a lady from Poland. Her name was Hedwig, and unfortunately, in 1549, she had a tragic accident that severely injured her abdomen. And as such, it made it very hard for Hedwig to do simple things such as walk. And, you know, old Hector really didn't have the patience or the concern for her. So he opted to set his intentions on a woman named Anna Sodow. And having no regard for any sense of propriety, you know, Hector moved old Anna into a palace called the Runewald Hunting Lodge which was located in West Berlin, and there she lived. And during the course of their very lengthy affair, Anna actually gives birth to two of Hector's children, you know, out of wedlock. Now, when Hector gets a little bit older, he realizes that he's not going to be able to protect his favorite mistress. And so he brings in his son, Johan, and he makes Johann promise to protect his favorite lady post-mortem. Well, when Johann comes to the throne in 1571, daddy dies, he immediately has Anna arrested and taken to the citadel where she's basically kept in prison for the rest of her life until her death in 1575. So four years but Johan isn't done. He's pissed. You know, he saw how daddy treated mommy without a doubt and didn't really care for, you know, this lady hanging around. And there are actually two interesting legends surrounding Anna's death. The first one is that in 1709, while Berlin City Palace, because again, remember I said it's, it's often referred to as Berlin's Citadel, they come across a skeleton that they assume is actually Anna's. And out of respect, and obviously maybe to calm down some of the paranormal activity, they actually provide her with a respectable burial. You know, they're thinking, great, she's at rest. Well, we know that that's not accurate. The other legend says that Anna was walled in alive at the Grinwald Hunting Lodge and hence, when they found this, you know, skeleton in the wall in 1709, it probably could have been somebody else's. So they don't know. Either way, right before Johan dies, it's like a week, he swears he sees the apparition of Anna in 1598. So 23 years after her death, she's still hanging around. And today, people still swear that they see the apparition of Anna hanging around, milling down the halls, going through walls. And the Citadel is actually considered one of the most haunted paranormal spots in Berlin. All right, let's talk about the Kirchlingern Forest. This is considered to be kind of like a creep-ass forest by many. And and the thing about this creep-ass forest activity, weird, creepy, 
just evil shit has been going on since the 12th century, so the 1100s. And when people visit this forest, do their hike, their jog, whatever, to this day, people have reported the sensation of not only being watched, but being watched by something evil. People have been known to have panic attacks, be have the overwhelming sensation of panicking, whereas prior to entering the forest, they were perfectly fine. And on top of that, people have reported having vivid daydreams whilst in the forest. And to make matters worse, kind of maybe speaks to potential other evil situations occurring. Animals in the local towns, the nearby towns, tend to disappear, domestic animals. And a lot of times people have come across these blood splatters that are just obscene, fur, skeleton, bones that look like maybe something was slaughtered. So here again, it's just this crip-ass forest with this killing spree and nobody seems to know what is causing this murderous crime scene. So it's not a comfortable forest. Now, moving forward, because we talked about a fortress, we've talked about a forest, let's kind of go super German dark, or rather Berlin dark, with the Berlin Alte Walton Museum. The Berliner Alte Walton Museum is a museum that preserves Berlin's underground infrastructure. What does this mean? What am I saying? In case you aren't familiar with the goddamn Nazis and the history, the goddamn Nazis were very good at building underground tunnels. And they built underground tunnels everywhere. They built them in uh, France. They built them in, in the Canary Islands. They built them in South America. These guys knew what the fuck they were doing. And unfortunately, with the, the people that they were rounding up, they used as slave labor. And they built these underground tunnels, and particularly below the city of Berlin. Now, the really cool thing is, is that this is your opportunity to kind of learn more about World War II. And to a large degree, things that happened during the Cold War. Because you have to remember, when World War II was over, Germany was split in half. Actually, it was split into four quarters. The Russians got a piece the Americans got a piece, the French got a piece, and the English got a piece. Well, obviously the the Americans, the British, and the French was considered the west side of Germany, and Russia was considered the eastern side. So here you have a split country, Berlin being the main line of division. So with these bunkers and with the history of World War II and the Cold War, you get to go down into the bunkers, and you get to learn about how these bunkers were used uh, for air raids, for shelters, for hospitals, for mother and child bunkers, for ammunition storage, for prisons. It was an underground prison. Also, too, these are connected to abandoned subway stations. And, uh, you know, your, your basic bunker, in case the Americans actually managed to create the nuclear bomb and bomb Berlin. So, just a true fortified situation. 
Now, one of the cool things about this company operating these tours during the the clean out, because there was a lot of cleaning that this company had to do, they actually found a huge filing system regarding the slaves that were made to work and build this bunker. And, and, and in case you don't know this, on top of them trying to, you know, shove their Aryan asshole racist objective down everyone's throat, the Nazis were actually very good at recording detail information. And as such, when they found the filing system regarding the information pertaining to the slaves who were made to build these bunkers, this information actually helped former workers receive reparation payment and in addition it helped this company create a exhibit recognizing what the slave workers were forced to do and acknowledging that if without them these would not have been built so this is actually a very interesting place it is laden with history and you know, with, with them taking the information, people were repaid for their unfortunate enslavement. So definitely, I think, an awesome historic opportunity to check out. Okay, so we talked about a fortress. We talked about a forest. We've talked about an underground museum. Let's talk about the speed park in southeastern Berlin that has been abandoned since 2002. Now, this section of Berlin, like I said, southeastern, eastern being the key word there, was part of the communist regime. And in 1969, the communist social government of East Germany builds this park initially as the VEB Kulturpark Planterwald, or the Kultai. That was his nickname. And it operated in fact it, it was it did okay it, it had i think over a, almost two million visitors annually and it was doing all right at least until the fall of the berlin wall which happened about 20 years afterwards and in 1991 a gentleman by the name of norbert witt took over and he did some upgrades not only did he rename the park he you know, had some asphalt put in, some grass, some landscape, and he installed new and more up-to-date rides. However, as time progressed, and unfortunately, I think to some degree, the park was not living up to expectation, Wit becomes involved in a smuggling cocaine scenario. And how he was smuggling the cocaine in was he was concealing the cocaine and pieces of ride equipment and shipping this equipment between Peru and Germany for maintenance, for repairs. And when the Speed Park ends up declaring bankruptcy in 2001, the Witt family moves to Lima, Peru in, in 2002, and he ends up taking a lot of the rides with him. However... When the ride, the flying carpet carousel, was getting prepared to return to Germany to be repaired, it was discovered that 167 kilograms, or basically 368 pounds of pure La Coquina, cocaine, 
was hidden in the ride's steel mass, that's when things basically fell apart for this family. Witt and his son Marcel get arrested on November 5th and 6th in 2003. Mr. Witt, the dad, gets sentenced to seven years in prison in Germany, and he only ends up serving four, while his son Marcel gets sentenced to 20 years in Peru. And I got to tell you, prison in Peru may not really have been worth it. So here now, this speed park was purchased by the city. But despite the city's intentions to rebuilding, revamping, maybe even letting it go, people like to visit this abandoned amusement park for kicks and giggles. And apparently it's even been the site of some movie productions as well as some TV shows. Either way, it's a little creepy walking around and abandoned and left for nature to take its course amusement park in Berlin. All right, moving on from the uh, La Coquina Park. <laughs> Let's talk about a park that was created out of love and is now supposedly haunted by a evil specter. I'm, of course, referring to the the Fossil Park, which is located in the River Haval. This park is a beautiful 243-acre park, and it was originally called Rabbit Island. So here's a little bit of history. Back in the 1600s, the 17th century, it was owned by Frederick William I of Brattenburg, and his son, Frederick William II, turns this private island into basically like a romance getaway for himself and his favorite mistress. This seems to be a common theme among royalty. So he and his favorite mistress, uh, Wilhelmie Inki, were like, hey, baby, this will be our private, uh, our own private island, our own private Idaho. And he just made this beautiful place a natural refuge for plants and animals alike. Now, he goes on to build a two-tiered white castle for him and Inky. And when he dies, his son, of course, inherits the island. And he builds a primitive version of a zoo where he imports a bunch of animals such as crocodiles, wolves, eagles, and peacocks. However, by the mid-1940s, most of the animals had been captured and relocated to the newly built Berlin Zoo. Again, mid-1940s, the goddamn Nazis are in charge. However, they did leave a lot of the peacocks behind, and today it's considered a historically renowned natural park. However, in this beautiful park, it is said to be haunted. It is believed that the alchemist Johann Knuckle haunts the park. People have seen a dark figure with red glowing eyes, and it is believed that it is him who is cursed to remain there in the afterlife. Because during his lifetime, Knuckle was believed to have performed crazy experiments related to black magic 
in his laboratory, which he was in the castle when he was alive. So now it is believed that he has been cursed to the island, having done these weird black magic experiments, and it is him who is haunting this island. And I think it's curious, I've said this before, that in almost every country, in almost every culture, there's an element of some type of black magic, demonic you know, worshiping going on, and it's like, wow, that's interesting because there's obviously some type of common concept of black magic and devil worshiping that I just find very, very interesting, despite language barriers, despite different religions, despite different cultures. But either way, Knuckle is hanging out at this beautiful rabbit-slash-peacock park. Now, when I did my research for Germany, I actually came across a lot of interesting museums, one of them being the David Hasselhoff Museum. If you don't know who David Hasselhoff is, he, in my generation, the best generation, he was Knight Rider. But he had revitalized himself, revamped himself. He got into Baywatch. He got into singing. And he actually became very popular in Germany. Unfortunately, they don't have a date to when this museum is open. But I did think that was pretty interesting that old David Hasselhoff has his own museum in Berlin. Now, the other thing I saw in the course, you know, being a history buff was a place called Checkpoint Charlie. Checkpoint Charlie is an essential landmark in Berlin because Checkpoint Charlie, which obviously is an American reference, is the border crossing point between West Berlin and East Berlin. And it's just, when we talk about the Cold War, we're talking about this essential spot. And, I mean, it's not a museum. We're not talking, you know, uh, underground infrastructure museum. We're talking about a very historical spot where if you decided to leave the West and enter the East, this was the spot. And I think it's very essential that this spot stay there because it still, I think, is vital for everyone to remember the history surrounding World War II and the Cold War that followed. So if you get a chance, check out Checkpoints, Charlie. It's a simple, it's a, like almost like an island now because obviously the Berlin Wall is down and the armed guards on both sides of the border are gone. But to remember, especially since, you know, this was kind of like a hot spot. This was the, the essential South Korea, North Korea scenario in Europe where, you know, tense scenes tend to play out, historically speaking. And again, being into history, I think that's essential to remember. All right. So, last spot. In the reason why, I'm just going to say this now, kind of out of turn. One of the things that I actually kind of found to be interesting was I had Googled haunted hotels, haunted restaurants, and believe it or not, I came up with nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it's curious because, I mean, we get particular words from Germany pertaining to the paranormal. Of course, I'm talking about poltergeist being one of them, Harmberger being another. And so I just kind of thought it was really interesting that I was not able to find any haunted hotels 
or restaurants. However, I did see, not necessarily in Berlin, haunted castles that you can stay in in other parts of Germany. So I began this episode with the acknowledgement that not every German supported the goddamn Nazis. And Operation Valkyrie is a prime example of how this is true. Now, I'm going to just give the skinny on this because there was a lot of people involved. And there's a lot of information pertaining to it. But the main gist of it surrounds a gentleman by the name of Klaus von Stauffenberg. He was part of the plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler in World War II. A little background. By the 1940s, a lot of the people who were close to Hitler started to see that they were not going to win, that this was a bad idea, and that Hitler needed to be removed. And some of the men, and we are talking those who were close to Hitler, began to plot Hitler's assassination and overthrow the Nazi regime. Again, this was all considered under Operation Valkyrie. And von Stauffenberg was an army officer and aristocrat who was disenfranchised with the Nazi party when he learned about their crimes against humanity. He wanted no part of it. He thought Hitler's plans, utopia, this world domination would lead to, to ruin his, his country that he loved. And he met with other conspirators to plot and plan Hitler's demise. And they tried actually a couple of times to assassinate Adolf Hitler, but the most prominent time when von Steffenberg himself traveled to occupied Poland to Hitler's bunker, he personally carried a bomb hidden inside his suitcase to meet Hitler. And he leaves his briefcase there, literally sitting under the table where Hitler is seated. And he's like, okay, thanks for the meeting. I'm out. He skips out. He takes an aircraft back to Berlin. And the bomb goes off. But motherfucking Hitler, who does get injured, survives. Now, he, von Stratenberg, returns to Berlin, like I said. And he starts working on the second phase of the coup. Because they have to get rid of Everybody. Hitler may be the head, but he had others underneath him who were just as determined as Hitler. However, when their assassination failed, the Nazi party basically hunts down the conspirators. And unfortunately, Operation Valkyrie conspirator by the name of General Friedrich Fromm to save his own ass turns on the other conspirators, names names, drops their names, and identifies who the other co-conspirators were in the assassination plot against Hitler. And as von Stauffenberg is in his office, in the neoclassic offices located on Blenderbach, the Nazi party surrounds the building, and the shootout begins. Von Stauffenberg gets shot in the shoulder, and he's wounded, and the Nazis storm the, the building, and... Von Stauffenberg gets placed before this firing squad in the courtyard of his offices, and he is executed, along with 
others. Now, it will take several years before people start ciphering through the mess and learning who did what. And in 1980, a memorial center gets inaugurated at this very building, and it is now a museum that discusses the plot. We're talking when von Schaffenberg dropped the bomb at Hitler's table, who was involved, the key figures, and an acknowledgement of the Germans who fought against the goddamn Nazis. So if you want to honor those who did their best to take out Hitler for the world, (laughs) this is definitely one place you're going to want to check out. All right. So that is what I have for you tonight. And you know, the really cool thing is, is that I wouldn't say a lot of paranormal things are going on in, in Berlin, but I will say that in like my research for the museums and whatnot, they do have a lot of very interesting things. And, you know, it's, again, a very interesting perspective towards things. And, again, you only learn this by traveling or researching or listening to this amazing podcast. So that's it. That's what I have for you tonight. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. We have a Facebook page. And if you're curious or interested and would like to join, send my request. And the other thing, in case some of you haven't noticed, I am starting to put outtakes and bloopers past the closing music. So if you see like 30 seconds remaining after the closing music of the episode, that is because I'm starting to put whatever crazy ridiculous outtakes to the back so if you want to hear us goof up or veer off topic for a second take a listen to the section after the closing song but in the meantime if you have a place that you would like us to research and do an episode on send me a request at where the dark corners are at gmail.com but until next time please remember Only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we, and I especially, hope to meet you where the dark corners are. (laughs) 